All right, well, open your Bibles. We are going to Jonah chapter 2, finally. And uh, I think we're going to have a great, great time talking about second chances. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name right now, God, that you would open our hearts so that we can even take just one thing away from the Word of God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few, few, uh, few months ago, Tanya and I, we were sitting on the couch watching the news, and this advertisement came on for an app, and the app was called Couch to 5K. And both her and I looked at each other, we were both sitting on the couch, and it was like that, ah, moment, you know? And I, my wife loves to run. In fact, she loves to run so much that in hilly Seattle, she would all run up and down those hills in Seattle, and she hurt her feet over the long haul doing that. I... Some people are made to run. Some people are made not to run. I was not constructed to run. I hate it. And the thing I hate most about it is if I don't have headphones, I'm alone with my own thoughts as I'm running. Scary. I mean, that... That is, it's like going to bed with your own thoughts, you know, it's like, I just can't have, so for me, I try to avoid it, you know, now when I joined the gym, I joined one where they had TVs, you know, <laughs> so I'd run on the treadmill and watch TV, that's the way to do it for me, but anyway, uh, you know, so I, I can't stand it, but we both looked at each other, it was like couch to 5k, you know, two point something miles, I'm like, come on, Tony, we, we can do that, and so we decided to do it, and here's the neat thing, when you get the app, they... My first thought was day one. I'm like, hey, man, I can run a 5K. So I'm like, Tanya, let's just, you know, forget the app. Let's just run a 5K right now. She's like, no, no, no. We paid for this. Let's do it. My, my wife is a rules troll, you know. If there's rules, we follow it. I'm like, ah, forget the rules, you know. Anyway, so she's like, come on, we're going to do this. We bought this. So, we, so here's the deal, and I didn't know this. What happens is day one, you run for 30 seconds, and then you walk for 30 seconds until you reach, I don't even think you reach a full 2K just for like a half hour or whatever. So you run for 30 seconds and you walk for, I'm like, this is great. It got this little thing that goes ding and you start running, you know, and then, it's, and then it goes ding and you start walking, you know, ding, you start running, you know, ding, you start walking, you know, it's a, I'm like, man, I get you. The first day I'm like, Tanya, I don't even feel like I did anything. This is great. I love this app. So it does that for about the first three or four days, and then you go to 45 seconds of running. And then ding, so you run for 45 seconds, and then ding, you, you know, maybe walk for 45 seconds or 30 seconds, and, and then that stretches it. You know, by the third or fourth week, you're like running for seven minutes straight, and then you're walking for a minute, you know. And, and f- so finally, after about, I'd say, four or five weeks following this app, we get to the 5K mark. And then, of course, at the very last day, when you complete the app, you run a 5K, you know, and, and we did that, and it was wonderful, and I loved it, you know, and of course, doing it this way, it built us up to where we could talk the whole time, so it, it, was, it was a good experience, but afterward, she was, we were about to go somewhere, we we're standing in front of our front door, and she accidentally opened the app, and when she opened it, it went ding, and just automatically, I kind of went, and I, you know, and my wife looks at me and she starts laughing at me. Can't stand it when my wife laughs at me when I do something stupid. But, you know, it's like Pavlov's dog. You know, I heard the ding and I start running. And she, she's like, did you, did you start running because of the ding? And, of course, I 
lied and said, no, I just wanted to see if there was something in my shoe before we left the house, you know. She's like, no, 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 you're full of it. Ah. What's the point? We started small, and by taking those small steps, eventually we were able to do, we were able to reach a goal and meet that goal. Today, we see in the life of Jonah the exact same progression, starting with one small step and then having that lead and thrust him into the purposes of God for his life. My first point is this, small prayers build to big ones. In Jonah chapter 2, it says, from inside the fish, remember Jonah's running from God, big storm comes, they throw Jonah over the boat, overboard, over the boat, he lands in the water, the big fish swallows him, and now Jonah is inside the fish. All of the noise of life, all the pressures, all the to-do list, his job, everything is on hold while he is in the belly of the whale. And it said, while he was in the belly of the whale, then Jonah began to pray. And he said in verse 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. The belly of the whale is a great place to pray. Now, for Jonah, the belly of the whale was literal. It was stinky, it was dark, probably thought he was gonna die, you know. So he's praying because he's thinking he's gonna see Jesus in a couple of seconds. But for many of us, the belly of the whale may not be a literal uh, whale or fish or whatever it was. It may be jail. It may be prison. It may be a hospital bed. It may be sleeping on the couch when you've had a big fight with your spouse. It may be sitting in the break room when your boss says, hey, shape up or we're gonna have to let you go. Being in that belly of the whale is that moment where all of the noise of life clears out and you realize the stakes are big right now. I've been running, I've been getting distance and I need to get back on track with what God has for my life. That's the belly of the whale and that's one of the best places to pray. I remember when I first became a Christian, I became a Christian as a young man, and I had a real, it was hard for me to pray. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it still is. You know, you just start saying stuff and, and you, nobody's in the room. Or, or one time I had a, a well-intentioned youth leader. He's like, Tom, let's pray together. And it was just like me and him in this room. And I'm like, he's like, okay, pray. I'm like, I'm like, can't get the words out because it just seems so awkward. You know, no, nothing's there, you know, and you, and you're, you just kind of struggle with feeling stupid and looking silly. And, you know, I believed that I had this incredible supernatural experience with God. So I was convinced I was a, you know, born again Christian, but still praying was just kind of that hard step for me. So he said, okay, Tom, Tom, I'll make this easy for you. Just say five words. I was like, I can say five words. He said, he said, say this. Lord Jesus, I said, Lord Jesus, please help me. Please help me quickly, quickly. I said, that's not five words, that's six. He's like, okay, you know, he's like, don't get hung up on how many words it is. But he said, just pray that. I remember the next morning I woke up and I'm like, okay, before my mom or dad bust into my room to wake me up, I'm gonna get up, get out of bed, get on the side, and I'm gonna pray that. And I got up, I got, Lord Jesus, please help me quickly. And I remember I got up, and I felt this sense of, I did it. I prayed today. Yes, you know. I mean, it was this huge, empowering thing. And it was just six 
words to begin with. A few months later, I was joyriding in my car out in the Egyptian desert, and I had stumbled upon an Egyptian military compound, and all of a sudden, I had all of these, the gate was closed, and all these soldiers pointing their guns at me as they stopped my car and wanted to know why I was in there. And they opened the door, and they grabbed me by the, the, by the chest, well, my shirt, and they grabbed my shirt, and I remember they flipped me on top of the car, and I had this AK-47 on the side of my cheek, not on my cheek, but about six inches away. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I have a gun being pointed in my face. And you know what my first thought was? I did not pee my pants. I remember feeling so proud of myself. Like a lesser man would have wet himself, you know, but I am dry, you know. And I remember just feeling so proud of that. But in the next moment, I remember thinking to myself, you know what, they could shoot me throw me out in the desert, take my car, and no one would ever know. I'm in a bind here. You know what I said? Lord Jesus, please help me quickly. That's all it took. Those six words. Those six words began in me a life of prayer where now I'll come in on a Thursday or Friday and I'll start praying for the church. And, and what little, little do you know I have all of your names on the list. All of you who are members or regular attenders, uh, I have on a list. And I go through and I pray for you and for your family. I feel like that's the, the, the highest call of my job is to pray for the congregation. And I lift you guys up in prayer right now. For some of you, if you don't know if you're on that list or not, fill out a card and say, put me on the list. If you're a visitor, Put me on the list, you know, and I will put you on that list and I'll pray. And that sometimes it takes an hour, hour and a half to get through it. But that all started with six words 20 years ago. Number one, small prayers build to big ones. Number two, small obedience builds big intentions. We'll skip the rest of Jonah chapter two because it's just Jonah's prayer and I think you'll just believe me when I say he had a good one, but we'll go to Jonah chapter, we'll go to Jonah chapter three. It was a good prayer, but, uh, but we're not going to focus on it. Uh, we'll skip to Jonah chapter three. There's only four chapters in Jonah, so we're about at the end. And it says here in Jonah chapter three, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's Jonah's second chance. He got a second chance. And God said, go to the great city of Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message I give you. And it says in verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, which was a very large city, and it took three days just to go through it. Here's what Jonah did. He got up. He got up off the beach. He cleaned himself off. And at one point, he took that first step to Nineveh. And you know what that first step was? a very small step of obedience. Remember, he had had many steps in disobedience going exactly the other way from where God was taking him. Now, all of a sudden, he has that first step of obedience. Sometimes we can put aside the small things because we intend to do something great someday. As a pastor, if I have heard this once, I've heard it a thousand times. Oh, Pastor Tom, as soon as I retire, I want to do some great things for God. Oh, Pastor Tom, as soon as I'm financially secure, I want to get going with my ministry. 
oh, Pastor Tom, as soon as this happens, or as soon as this happens, or as soon as this happens, and you know what that is? That would have been Jonah just sitting on the beach waiting for something to happen. And I hear that a lot. But the fact of the matter is, small steps of obedience will beat big intentions every day. Uh, why, uh, in, my, in the last church I was at, uh, the leadership came to me and said, all right, you can hire an assistant. That's great news, man. When, when somebody tells you you can hire somebody to help you, you are like, you want to go out and do a backflip. I mean, that's how excited I was. And they said, but here's the thing. We don't, they had hired my other people. I was not part of the process. They said, this is who's going to work for you and you got to like her. Okay. But they said, with this one, we'll let you pick. I'm like, oh, you know, because now I'm the bad guy when I tell somebody no, you know. They were the bad guy. Now I got to be the bad guy. So I had whittled down all the candidates to two candidates. Now, the first candidate I had known for years, and she was an incredible lady, incredible gal, uh, young, full of fire and energy. And she would always tell me about these big, great things she wanted to do in youth ministry. But that's the problem. She would always tell me about these big, great things she wanted to do in youth ministry, but she never actually did anything. Hey, we're having a car wash this weekend. Can you help? Oh, no, I can't. I'm sorry. Hey, we're going on a mission trip to Mexico. You want to come? Oh, no, I can't do that. Hey, we need somebody to fill on the worship team. Can I teach you how to play? Oh, no. That's not. I mean, she talked a great talk. I remember thinking, man, if I had half your vision, she would wear me out just talking. And I'd get, I'd get caught up in this. And I really wanted to hire her. If nothing else, every week to retell me that vision so I could be inspired. But at the end of the day, there was another girl who I had known for just a few months. And her first day, she was like, you know what? I'm joining this church. I want to join the youth leadership. Put me to work. I want to do something. I said, well, we serve nachos every Wednesday night. Can you do the nachos? Fine. All I knew of her was that she could make some mean nachos. I didn't know if she could do anything else. But you want to know something? I hired her. You know why? She was doing something. There was somebody who wasn't doing anything that could talk a big talk. She was doing something. And I never regretted hiring her because I realized that small step of obedience led to bigger and bigger and bigger things. Small obedience will always beat big intentions. Number three, small victories birth big triumphs. In Jonah chapter 3, beginning of verse 4, it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. Remember, the city takes three days to go into. So he gets 33% into the city, and he starts. And this is what he says. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he says that. And that's all he says. In verse 5, oddly enough, I mean, I would not think that that message would have a lot of chance of success, right? If I were to have gone to Los Angeles and say, 40 more days and Los Angeles will be leveled. People are like, ah, one of those, you know. It's no different in Jonah's day. They were going, ah, one of those. But Jonah keeps saying it. And here's the funny thing. It worked. They believed Jonah. They believe God. It says here in verse 5, the Ninevites believe God. They start fasting From the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth, which is a euphemism for they repented. They said, God, we're sorry. We want to get back on track with your plan for our lives. 
It says in verse 6 that Jonah's warning reached the king, and he does the same thing. Everyone from the greatest to the smallest repents and starts to follow God. And Jonah's going, I can't believe it worked. Eight words, and it worked, you know? Forty more days. Jonah just spoke eight words, but that's all he had to do. Because you see, God used just eight words. And Los Angeles is a good example. Los Angeles takes nearly three days to drive through it, if you ask me. (laughs) Some of you know what I mean, you know? Huge, sprawling city. Eight words. And there's a revival from the mayor down to the very least of the city. Eight words. But you see, small victories give birth to big triumphs. The very first time I was asked to be a pastor was when I lived in downtown Seattle, in the ghetto. And I went to this church in the ghetto. And they said, we need a youth pastor. And I said, there isn't a youth group. Yeah, there is. There's four kids. All right. Well, three of the kids are the pastor's kids. And the fourth is, well, she's kind of weird. She was really weird, you know? I'm like, there really isn't a youth group here, you know? We want you to pastor this youth group. Okay. So we go in, we have our meeting. And of course, the three pastor's kids, they know the language. They know the lingua. They know when to stand. They know when to clap. They know the answers. They know exactly what to do. I'm like, you know what? Somebody did a good job teaching them church. I don't know if they had a relationship with Jesus, but they knew church. And there's a difference. (laughs) But, But the other girl, she was kind of a mystery to me. She didn't say much. Uh, I got kind of odd down there, tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. And I remember thinking to myself and telling Tanya, I don't think we're reaching this chick, you know. She is just, I, 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 you know, I don't, we try, we try, we try. But here's the wonderful thing about girls. Most of them like boys. Yes. She liked a boy. And I said to her, well, if you like this boy so much, why don't you invite him to church? And I thought she was going to laugh in my face. She goes, that's a great idea. So she invites him to church. Well, I meet the kid. He's a nice kid. And he really gets into church. I mean, there's five kids in there. We aren't doing much anything. And he's like, I love this Jesus stuff. Man, this is great. So all of a sudden, I have a problem. She like likes him. You know, like likes. She wants to be his girlfriend. But he doesn't want to be her boyfriend. He doesn't like her in that way. And so she gets all butthurt and she leaves. We don't see her for like another six months until she gets over him and finds another boyfriend. She eventually comes back, which is is the best part of the story. But now, now it's just four boys and him. But where she had no friends... He had a lot of friends. And I kid you not, within three or four months, there were 60 kids in that youth group. He starts inviting everybody, and it all began with Tanya and I investing in this one girl. We went to her football games. She was a cheerleader. We went to her football games. We'd take her out to lunch, pick her up from high school, take her out to lunch. We tried hard for like three months. We just couldn't break the ice, but we loved her. And through that, she liked a boy who didn't like her back. And that boy came. She left. 
she, he invites all these friends. She comes back and goes, oh my gosh, where did all these people come from? Yeah? It was more than boys. <laughs> and it just had one small victory. One person. One person. And God used that seed and did something incredible. Point number four, yesterday is not as important as today. When I first became a believer, it wasn't just hard for me to pray. It was hard for me to pray. Because whenever I did, I'd begin to cry. And so I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, you were just one of those boys, those cry boys. You know those boys in the 80s? And I, I wasn't one of those boys. Uh, I never cried. I was very angry. I thought I was a bit of a tough kid. I was raised in a rough environment. And I hated crying because I didn't want anybody to see me cry and think me as a wimp. So when I'd pray, I'd make sure nobody else was around because whenever I'd start to pray, something would begin to happen and I'd start crying. And I, and I remember going, God, I'm never going to pray again if I keep crying. I don't want to cry. Crying is a very hard thing for me to do. And one time, about three or four months into it, I wanted to pray so bad and I'd just start praying and I'd just start crying. And I am at school. And I remember people looking at me like, what is Naki's deal? And I all of a sudden can't stop it. You know what was causing the tears? It was the love of God breaking through my arrogant, prideful, hard heart. It took me almost a full year to stop crying and now I can't start again. I don't know what's wrong. But for almost a full year, there was a melting that began to happen. And through all of that, if I learned anything, I learned this. Yesterday is not as important as today. What was God doing? He was melting away all of the pain and the pride of yesterday and pouring his love inside of me today. And that's... What I feel like God wants to do as we close our service. Melt away the pain of yesterday. The memories of being in the belly of the whale. And pour his love for today. As we go to our Ninevehs. And just start with the small steps of obedience. Amen. So I ask you. What is the small step that God's calling you to this morning? Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's seeking out mom or seeking out dad. Or quite frankly, for some of you, maybe it's texting Ray, saying, you know what? I'll go down to church without walls with you. I'll go give a cup of water in Jesus' name. What is that small step? Maybe for some of you, it's, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to pray. I'm going to tell God how much I love him and how thankful I am because he loves me. 
hey, I'm no idiot. I know what many of our lives are. We fly out of bed when the alarm comes. We go to the bathroom. We take a shower. We brush our teeth. We fly out the front door and say, Jesus, thank you for being a God of grace because I don't have much time for you right now. I know what life is like. What is the small step we can take to not just have Jesus be some part of our lives, but to allow God to be the purpose for our lives, whether it's on the job, at home, or down at Church Without Walls. What is that small step? Just let the Holy Spirit speak that to you right now. For Jonah, it was one small step off the beach. For you, what is that small step? And for some of you, that small step may be coming into a relationship with Jesus. We can make a religion out of Jesus and all of a sudden you're going to church because you want to. You're going to church because you're scared God will be mad at you if you don't. You're praying because you're scared that if you don't, you might, something bad may happen. That's religion. God doesn't want a religion with you. He wants a relationship with you. And so this morning, for those of you who the small step is to become a true Christian, to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to be filled with the Spirit. Just go ahead and look up at me right now and say, this is my small step to become a true follower of Jesus. Go ahead and look up at me now. Amen. 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 No, why don't we say this together? Say, Lord Jesus, you are my small step. Lead me in whatever I can do to get on the path you have for me. I make you my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.